Welcome to this message in the Biblical Worldview series. This is a series of messages for Christians. A 2020 Barna poll showed that only 6% of people who call themselves Christians have a worldview that is aligned with the Word of God. That means that 94% of Christians have a view of the world that is more like the world than it is like Jesus. In Revelation 3, Jesus warned us this would happen, that the church would be lukewarm. He also said in that chapter that he would spew that church out of his mouth. He is disgusted by it. This series is for people who don't want to be lukewarm. This series will challenge you to examine what you believe. Keep an open mind and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to you in these messages. If you sense that your view of the world is out of alignment with God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to help you change. In Matthew 7, Jesus said there are two paths that we can walk in this life. One leads to life, the other leads to destruction. A biblical worldview is the only one that leads to life and the abundant life that Jesus promised. If you have any questions about anything you hear in this message, let me know. So grab your Bible and let's see what God has to say to us today. So today, we'll be taking a break from our verse-by-verse study of Zechariah to continue our biblical worldview series aligning your view of the world with God's word. So this morning, turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, many of you are probably familiar with a verse in this chapter, uh, probably one of the most familiar verses in the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. When the Lord said that through Jeremiah, he was speaking to the people of Israel, uh, specifically to those who had been recently exiled from Judah to Babylon. So they were, they they had, God had warned them for hundreds of years, worship me alone, do not get caught up in all that other weird stuff that's going on around you obey me so that I can bless you. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet. You know, if you don't, if you don't listen to me, he said, I'm going to kick you out. They didn't listen to him. So what did he do? He kicked them out. He did what he said. And then in Jeremiah 29, the context of Jeremiah 29 is right before this verse, he told them, oh, by the way, you're going to be there for 70 years. At the end of 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. And that's why, that's, that's where the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 comes from. The promise that God, while God did exile them, that he had a promise to bring them back after 70 years. And later we, we can read the book of Daniel. Daniel's reading Jeremiah 29. He says, oh, hey, look, we're almost at the end of 70 years. And by faith, he believed that God was going to do what he said. And and in fact, he did do that. He was going to deliver them from their exile. So here they are. These are Jews. They've been ripped, torn forcefully from their homes, from their land, from their community, from their families, from everything that is good and right and, and happy and dragged off to this foreign land where they speak a foreign language, they, they do weird things, and they're exiles in this land. It's foreign land. It's less than desirable circumstances, I'm guessing. So my focus this morning is on what God tells them through Jeremiah in the verses before that. Before he told them, you're going to be there for 70 years. Before he told them, I'm going to bring you back, he said something else to them. They may have wondered, how are we going to do this? How are we going to live in this utterly pagan land? 
How are we going to exist in this place that doesn't believe what we believe, doesn't practice what we practice, doesn't see the world the way that we see it? How are we going to live in this land? How are we going to do it? And I don't know about you, but as I grow in my faith, I'm, I think I understand how they might have felt. As I look around the world, and I see a world that is increasingly strange to my faith. It is increasingly opposed to my faith. Increasingly is pushing and promoting and saying things that don't line up with what I believe. The things that people are doing. I don't do that. The, people, the things that they want me to do. I don't want to do that. And the more we do that, the more we recognize, we, we, we get this sense of being uncomfortable in this land. We are drawn to our other home, the one that we have in Christ because of Christ. And just as the Jews had to live in the land of Babylon, and they were told it's going to be 70 years, you're going to live here, and after that 70 years is over, then you can come back to the promised land. We have to live in this land, in this place, in this time, until the promised home is ours. How do we do that? How do we, how do we exist in this utterly pagan world while we wait? So we're going to look at some verses, but first let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this time, and, and um, it, it is a, it's a weird time. And uh, we probably, I'm sure pastors have been saying that for 2,000 years. But we see, Lord, we see signs, we see evidences, and we see these things. And, and for us, you know, we, we can only live in the time that we're living in. We can look back and see what others were doing, but Lord, we're, looking at, we're living in this time right now, and we look at it, and it's just strange. It's weird. It's hard. It's, it's not right. How do we do it, Lord? What do we do? So as we look at what you said to those people, those, those Jews that um, were exiled to Babylon, Lord, help us to see how we live in this land that doesn't, doesn't see you the way we see you, doesn't have the same truth that we have. And Lord, that, that desires us to live in a way that is contrary to what we know is right. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom to see what you would say to your church today. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Today's topic, as was already kind of suggested, maybe one that some people believe doesn't belong in the church. I have a particular position, and that is if the Bible talks about it, then I must talk about it. Our topic for today is what does the Bible say about politics? Anybody want to talk about politics? Right, lower your hand. No, you don't. <laughs> Nobody really likes talking about politics. Some people do. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to go where I was thinking about going there. So let's start with the definition. I always like to start with definitions in these topics. What is politics? Politics is defined as the set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups. I'm guessing most of you probably wouldn't have used that as a definition for politics. You would have had something else, some other way of describing it. But ultimately, that's what politics are about. It's about making decisions. And, and there are some who would say, you know, that, that, again, that's not part, that's not part of what we shouldn't be involved in that. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to disagree with that today, so I just know that. And if I've, if I've, I've I guess I've probably done some controversial topics in the back, in the past, the, I'm going to probably say some things that get right up to the edge of controversial today, so just hang on. Don't leave. Wait till the end, okay? <laughs> Watch to the end. Listen to the end. Politics is the system used by groups to make decisions. That's what politics is. It's the system 
that groups use to make decisions. There, now, groups can be anything. A marriage is a group. A family is a group. A community, um, uh, an association of different interests. You, all these things, they're, they're, anytime you get involved in a group, a church, a city, a county, a nation, state, all these groups, they have systems that they use to make decisions. That's politics. The word politics comes straight out of the Greek. It is transliterated from the Greek. And the root of it is polis, which it means city. And then the, uh, the, the full Greek word is politica, and it means matters or affairs of the city. That's what politics is about. It's about the people. It's about the, the organization, the group, and how it makes decisions. Some wonder why, why Christians should care about politics. Well, very simply. Politics matter because politics determines policy, and policy affects people. So that's why Christians should care about politics. Now, what we don't care about is all the nonsense that goes in politics. That's what, gets, that's what causes us to want to disconnect from it. But I'm going to tell you, we can't. We absolutely can't. Should Christians be involved in politics? Let's look at a couple of verses here. Jeremiah 29. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. So, so, so Jeremiah is writing a letter speaking on behalf of God to the exiles. The God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. First thing we want to note there is is that, you know, the, when bad things happen, we always want to know why, right? But why is this happening to me? So, so God opens his letter by saying, this happened to you because I made it happen. You are in Babylon because I sent you there. If they needed more explanation than that, I'm sure they could figure it out. God had told them over and over again, I'm gonna, it's going to happen if you don't get your act together. They didn't, and so God reminded them that they are there because it was God's will that they be there. As we think about politics, we also need to keep in mind, you are where you are because that's where God puts you. You know, why? You know, you know, I can't stand, you know, what's going on in California. Well, guess what? You're in California. That, that's where God puts you. Now, Dale and Janice, believe, they believe God's calling them out. Well, God bless you. He's not saying that to me. He's saying it to Kelly, but he's not saying it to me yet. So, no, <laughs> kidding, kidding. She's got her eyes on Texas. So, you know, hold on, hold on. <laughs> For the Jews, they didn't have a choice. They literally got dragged out of Jerusalem and dragged to Babylon, and they were going to stay there for 70 years. You know, some people do. You know, Dale and Janice, they have a choice, and they feel called to go. And, and, and I would say to you, if, if you, before you go, make sure God is telling you, because the last thing you want to do is go away from where God wants you to be is not a good thing. And not questioning their decision, I believe it's God's will. It's not my will, it's, but, yeah. <laughs> they didn't ask for my vote. 
<laughs> Make sure you're where God wants you to be. That's the main thing. But if you are where you are, then you have to know God wants you there. And he doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to disengage from what's going on in the world around you. He wants you connected to it. He wants you a part of it. He puts you in this place, in this time, for such a time as this. You're here for a reason. All of us are. We need to know that. Verse 5. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. God wants them to flourish. Build houses, meaning, you know, what is a house? It's a permanent residence. Build this thing that you will then occupy. And not just build it, but then also, you know, have babies and have your babies, you know, get married and have babies. Flourish. Continue to flourish where you are in exile in Babylon. A heathen, pagan nation. A nation that was doing nasty things. You can flourish there. He told them. Even in this place of punishment, because that's, that's what exile in Babylon was meant to be for, the, for those, those exiles. It was punishment for rebelling against, disobeying God. Even there, God wanted to do good for them. Wherever we are, God wants to do good. He wants to do good in us, and he wants to do good through us. This next verse is the one I really want to focus on. Verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. God's desire for the people there was peace. It's always his desire. It had always been God's desire that they would know peace. Where did he want them to know peace? Back in the promised land. That's where he wanted them to know that, but, but they couldn't do it there because they were rebelling against God. So as a, as a form of punishment to get their attention, to get them to change, which they did change. They never went back to idol worship after that. But he still wanted them to know peace. Wherever we are, God's desire is that we would know peace. Wherever we are, whatever's going on in our life, there is a way to get to peace because God's peace is always available to us. Now, it doesn't mean... It's going to be easy, doesn't mean it's going to be fun, doesn't mean you're going to, you know, get rich and, you know, get a fancy car. It just means that there is a way for you to be at peace and to know something about peace. One of the things that Pastor Randy is so faithful to do, and I appreciate it so much, is to remind us to pray, to remind us to pray for those in authority, for our government. And as he says, they need it, and, and he's absolutely right, they do. Every leader actually needs prayer. It's hard. It's hard to do it right. It's hard to do it in a way that glorifies God. It's even harder when you don't want to have anything to do with God. And so we should be praying for them especially. The Apostle Paul exhorts us to that very thing. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made for all men. Maybe we should pray for everybody for kings and for and all who are in authority that excuse me that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence we ought to be praying so that we can know godliness and peace so that we can know the the the, the goodness of god wherever we are we ought to be praying for those in authority over us especially those who don't know the lord if they don't know the Lord, then, then we're praying for something that they don't understand, that they don't know how to get to. And it, would take, say, it will take a divine act of God for them to get to that place where we can experience God's blessing, which we can, because he's good. Now, our verse includes more than just praying. Praying is important, but the, the part of that verse that I really want to focus on is the very first part. And it says there, in the first part of that verse, it says, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. 
Seek the peace. That word seek is in the form of a command. And, and it is in the active voice. And so the idea, another way of saying it, is be active doing things that lead to peace in the city. In what city? Babylon. Lead to peace in Babylon. A pagan, heathen, wicked, evil city where 99% plus of the people living there have no desire to know God and the gods that they are worshiping are demons and they're doing pretty bad things. Seek the peace of that city. And that, what that means is that operating within whatever system that that city uses to make decisions. Whatever system that city is using to make decisions, that we need to seek the peace in and through that system. Get involved is the idea. Get involved in the politics of the city, of the county, of the state, of the country where God has placed you. Get involved. Now, now when, we, when it says seek the peace of the city, it's not... It's not referring to the absence of conflict. That's not, that's not the goal. Because we live in a time and a culture where, there, where at least one of the parties, that's their goal. You know, the Democratic Party seeks peace. They want peace. You know what kind of peace they want? Their peace. Everybody to be in alignment with their views, completely given over to their views, then we can know peace. Is that true? Nope. I can guarantee it, it won't be peace. It can't be. Because it absolutely denies, rejects, and, re and resists God. There can be no peace without God. I've said that before. The only true peace that is possible is peace in God, with God, and through God. That's the only way. And that only comes when the people are at peace with God through faith. And for us, we understand through faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the reason Christians should be involved in politics is so that they can be a spirit-filled force or influence or impact for peace in a world that is filled with violence and evil and wickedness. We are living in a modern-day Babylon. And so... so so we can imagine ourselves, understand ourselves as being like the exile sent into this foreign land and, and God saying to you, okay, build houses, you know, build a life, flourish here and seek the peace of the city you're living in. How do we do that? We must influence our city, county, state, country. We must be an influence, which means we must be involved in the system that is being used to make decisions. If we're not involved in it, then we're not seeking the peace. We, there's not, we're not having an influence. We're all oh, praying. Okay, well, praying is good. It's good, but it's not the only thing. Nowhere in the Bible that says, God, if you, if you just pray, I'll take care of everything else. It doesn't say that. Over and over again, we are called to action, called to do something. Here, the seek the peace. That's not just about prayer. You know, so it says, seek the peace and pray, he says in that verse, verse seven. So first thing, three things, three points, and then three activities. We're gonna do three points and then three activities. How about that? First, respect Authority. Turn to Romans 13, very common verse when we talk about this, or section of Scripture. Respect authority. We live in a time and a place where, frankly, it is hard to do this. It is hard to respect people who are doing and promoting the things that they are in the world around us. 
Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Yeah, what, what Isaiah was saying is that there are people who are, who are, who are describing things as good when they are, in God's eyes, evil, or evil things and calling it good. When, when we, as believers, stand up and say, hey, we believe God made them male and female, period. What do they describe that, that as? That's evil, bigoted, hate speech. We call it truth. It's hard to respect leaders who put forward legislation that permits the murder of babies. Even suggesting that maybe it should be done for some period after they're born. That's, that's evil. And, and they're calling it, no, this is, this is women's health. Don't you love women? Yeah, I love women. But I love babies too. I love the women, potential women babies that you have to murder to do this thing you call women's health. You cannot call that good, but they do. And for anyone, and it's inconceivable to them that anyone would, would disagree with them because they are so convinced that that evil is good. They've been convinced that that evil is good, that anyone that resists them must be evil. That's the world we're living in. That's the world we need to try to influence. The Apostle Paul, who authored the book of Romans, was living under the authority of the Roman government, the Roman Empire. It was not a pleasant place. It was, it was ruled with an iron fist, though they had some, you know, they had a... a, a a, a political system there as well, but it was a liberal and cruel environment. And Paul's writing to them, and he writes in Romans 13, verses 1 through 3, let every soul be subject to the governing authority. In Paul's time, what authority was that? The Roman Empire. Be subject to every authority, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. No government can exist apart from God's will. None. Now, that doesn't say that God approves of what these governments are doing, what these government leaders are doing. Even wicked, godless leaders can be used by God for good. We see it all through the scriptures, God using wicked, evil rulers to do good for his kingdom. Romans 8.28 has always been true, will always be true. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, it may be challenging to respect those in authority when they are doing these terrible things. But it's our duty as Christians to figure out how to do that. Now, now it doesn't mean we agree with them. Matter of fact, you know, with most of them, we will never agree with them but it doesn't mean that we can't express the level of respect that God would call us to. Again, that's a challenging thing. Depending on your personality, it may even seem impossible. But we're called to respect that authority because that authority is ordained by God. The person that's doing whatever that thing is may be doing it completely contrary to the will of God, but we, if we can't respect the man or the woman, we must respect the position. And we have to learn how to balance that. It's hard, but not impossible. Respect authority. Second thing, always put God first. Always put God first. Even though we're under human authority, we have a duty that supersedes all others, and that is to God. 
In Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. And so we're under authority, we're under human authority. We have an authority that supersedes all of that. And as we seek to respect and submit to the human authorities that God has placed us under, and you've got to remember that, that, that Jeremiah, he was writing to the exiles in Babylon. Do you think they had a lot of liberty, a lot of freedom in that environment? Probably not. In the, in the time as a Christian in Rome, not a lot of liberty there either. As we seek to, to, to respect and submit those human authorities, there'll be times when, when those human authorities are calling us to do something that, that is in direct violation of what God has told us. In, in direct contradiction to what God has told us. And we have to choose. Do I obey the human authority or do I obey God? And which one do you think is the one we ought to do? Say it out loud. Obey God. Obey God. We need to obey God. Peter and the apostles faced this issue. The the Jewish religious leaders commanded them not to speak about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. Their response, Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles answered, we ought to obey God rather than men. You all, all, the, all know the account in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they, they were told, you need to worship this idol. And they said, uh, nope. Ain't going to do it. Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, if you don't do it, you get thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, well, yeah, okay. You know, you can do that. And our God might save us. He might not. He might. But we're not going to bow. We can't. We won't. And we know how that story ended. They were willing to experience the consequences. Peter and the apostles, willing to experience the consequence of doing what God said even if it, if it went against what the ruling authority said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay, we know there's a consequence. There's going to be a consequence. If I do what God says rather than what you want me to do, then okay, there, there's a potential consequence there. God can save me from it. He might, he may not. And that's the attitude we ought to have. We come to these decisions. They want us to do this, but I'm sorry, I can't. You know, we, we've talked about this for years, and, and thankfully we've been protected from it for a long time. But there, there's a, 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 a bill, I'm not sure if it's a bill or what, but the Defense of Marriage Act, anybody familiar with it? Um, it, is, it is the liberal government's attempt to basically make it the law that basically marriage can be anything you want it to be. There is, no, there is no limit to what marriage can be. So any two, three, four people of any gender or whatever, whatever, they can, they can just do marriage. Okay, you know, some of us might say, okay, what? fine, go do whatever you want to do. Here's the problem. There is no protection for li religious liberty which means those people can come to this church and say, you must marry us. And what do you think I'm going to say? No, I must not. I can't. I can't. We need, we need to be involved because those things are going on all around us. They're going on on the federal level. They're going on on the state level. We need to know what's going on, and we need to be involved. If you hear anything about the Defense of Marriage Act, you need to understand it. It's not, it's dangerous. And is it, a, it will eventually be a direct attack on religious liberty. And if they can attack us there, where else might they get us, try to get us? And it's not just the church, it's any, any organization that, that has a, a belief that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's the only definition for it. As we engage, and we must engage in politics, we must get involved at whatever level God calls us to, we need to understand we put God 
first. And we need to be, we need, well, I'll talk about that later, but we need to be looking for people in politics that are doing that, that have a desire to do that. And keep in mind that when we do that, there could be consequences. God is bigger than the consequences. God can deliver us from whatever. And if he doesn't, oh well, I still must obey God rather than men. Third thing to keep in mind, we are salt and light. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we'll look at some of Jesus' words. Christians have a very important role in politics. Remember that, that, that the Lord told the exiles to, to seek the peace of Babylon, to pray for peace in Babylon. Would the exiles benefit from that? Yes. If there was peace in Babylon, would, there, would the exiles benefit from that? Who else would? The Babylonians. We're called to be salt and light. Our desire is to see God's good in the community, in the, in the state, in the, in the country where God has placed us. We want to see good. We want to see peace. We want to see God, his word, his glory, his truth spread throughout all of that. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about that. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the, the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, th this world is divided into two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of darkness. And you're in one kingdom or the other. When we believed in Jesus Christ, we were transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But then we're not, we're, we, are, we are transported there, but we still exist, we still function, we still live within the realm of the kingdom of darkness. We're not a member of it. We're not, a, we're not a citizen of the kingdom of darkness, but we still have to exist there, much like the Jews existing in Babylon. Jesus came to deliver humanity from the darkness. Unfortunately, most of the world would prefers the darkness. In John 3, 19... This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. We're living in times of great darkness, darkness that, that those who are promoting these evil deeds, these evil things, are calling it all good and light. And that anyone who would resist them, who would resist the darkness, must be evil. When we put our trust in Christ, he moved us from one kingdom to the next. And as long as we live in this flesh, we have a responsibility to God, to Christ, for what he did for us to carry his light out into the world, out into the darkness. No matter how dark it gets, one small light will make a difference. By faith, we let our light shine, even in the area of politics. So to let our light shine, we must be involved. We've got to do something. So what? What do we do? How should Christians be involved in politics? Three things. First, pray. Pray about politics. Pray about the things that are going on. There is a decision-making process going on in your city, in your county, in your nation, in your state. There is a process going on. Pray about it. But 
pray intelligently, which means you need to know what's going on. How are people making decisions? What is the process? What are, what are they trying to decide on right now? What are the, what are the, the bills or the, you know, the ABs that are going on? What's, what's, being, what's being put forward and how should we be praying about it? Now, if you, don't, if you don't have time to do the research, there are people that have already done that. Find them and know, how should I be praying about this? How should I feel about this? Because it's going, eventually, it's going to affect you. And you need to know that. Pray. There's a lot we can do besides pray, but we probably shouldn't do anything until, until we've prayed. Prayer is so important. If, of course, you believe that God works and that God hears us, which he does, then pray. Pray for God's will. Pray for the leaders. Pray for those wicked, God-hating leaders. Pray that God would save their souls or get them out of the way. You know, you can pray that, right? Get them out of the way, God. Take them out. Now, don't don't take that the wrong way. I'm not suggesting action on your part in any way. Violence is not the right answer. If, let God deal with how he's going to move them out of his way, out of the way of his people. But we need to be praying, God, God, I, I would prefer you save our governor's soul because he is so lost. Not just him, his whole Cabinet, is that right? Is that on a state level? Is that right? What's, what's the, what is his group of people? Whoever's around him, all of his peeps. You know, they all need to get saved. Or God send people around him who can be a godly influence in his life. Pray. Pray and then pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom on how you should be involved. And for all of us, there, there's going to be something different. God made us all different. He gave us different areas of influence. We need to, we need to exercise those influences as, as he leads us to. So, first, pray. Second, vote. Vote. I shouldn't actually have to say any more than that. Every believer must vote. Well, it's not going to matter how I... Stop. Stop. Every believer must vote. If you don't vote, it is abdicating to the enemy. And you're not seeking the peace of the city you're living in. And you're not believing God for the impossible. Vote. Regardless of how it might come out, regardless of what the outcome might be, vote and trust God to do what he's going to do with those little circles you put on the on the ballot. Vote. But not just vote. Vote wisely. Every, every ballot has got two things on it. It's got policies and people. Always, always those two things. Policies and people. If there are measures or whatever on that, you need to understand what those are and why you need to care about them. Some of them, they're relatively neutral. You know, should they build an overpass in Menifee, you know, in between Newport and Scott? Yes. <laughs> I will pay money for that. Should there be a measure in the schools that allows children to transition from one gender to another without telling their parents? No. No. And Lord, whoever put that bill forward, I need to be praying against them right now because that's evil at a level that we don't even know how bad that is going to affect the next generation. That's another message entirely. I don't want to get off on that one. Know what these measures are about. And again, if you can't do the research, there are godly groups that have already done it. It's better to do it yourself, but if you can't, find a resource that helps you to understand it, that, that boils it down for you so you understand what it is. If you just go in and, I'm just going to vote yes on everything, or I'm going to vote no on everything, that's not wisdom. 
And that's not letting your light shine. Vote wisely. And there are people. It is absolutely vital that we as believers know who it is we're voting for to the best of our ability. We need to find, we need to elect people whose position most closely reflects our beliefs. This week I was talking with a guy and we were, and this, the, the topic of his message came up and, and he asked me a question, a question I hadn't been asked before, so it kind of caught me off guard. I'm, like, I'm not sure how to answer that question. He said, if Jesus voted in the 2020 election, would he have voted for Donald Trump? Typically, in any election, there are two candidates. No, no, there are usually more than that on the ballot, but only two of them are actually have any hope of being elected. In 2020, we had a choice between a Republican with some obvious character flaws and a liberal Democrat. That was our choice. And, man, I can get really heated up about this. Christians, Christians, Christians made a choice and said, I don't like him. And so I'm going to vote for him. I don't, I don't like the, the orange guy. He's not nice. He says mean things on Twitter. It came down to a question whether we're going to vote for a guy who says mean things on Twitter or a guy who is going to actively fight to allow women to abort their babies right up to the point of birth. It was a choice without a choice. If, 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 if Donald Trump wanted to come in here and talk to you, I'd tell him no. I don't really care for him as an individual. But I wouldn't vote for someone who's okay with killing babies. I can't. Listen, before any Christian votes for a Democrat, you must understand what they stand for. And you don't have to, it doesn't take a lot of research to figure it out. If you go to their, to their website, you can look, and the very, very first thing on their list is they will oppose anything that stands in the way of abortion. Anything. And they want it liberal. They want it anybody, anywhere, anytime. I don't need to read any further than that. But you read down the list. They, they are supporting, you know, depending on how you feel about climate change, I got some opinions on that. That's that'll be for another message, but you know they're they're all about that. They're all about pushing the COVID vaccines and the COVID policies. I mean, read down their list, and you could go down that list, and I'm absolutely certain that that nine ninety percent plus of everything on their list are things that are opposed to what you believe. Every one. I don't understand how a Christian can vote for a Democrat. It makes no sense to me. They don't believe. And, and, they say you as a problem. Your faith is a problem. Their goal is progress. What kind of progress? Complete and absolute freedom. They call it freedom. It's not, but that's what they call it. They want you to be free to do anything you want. Listen, that's, they want progress, but you stand in the way of it. Your faith stands in the way of their progress. And just like this Defending Marriage Act, while, while they're, they're, you know, they're putting on, you know, we're just, we just want people to be happy. 
okay, watch out, watch out. There's poison in that pill. And if they, and if they, if they allow, if we allow it to happen, it will end up silencing the voice of the church. You are in the way. And they're going to do anything they can to stop you. Yeah, I've heard them talk about, you know, threatening to take away the 501c3. Fine, go ahead. I don't care. I care. But, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to let that be something that, allow, that causes me to stop telling people the truth. Listen, I, I don't know how you voted last time. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm telling you, before you do it again, no. Now, does that, does that mean all, all Republicans are good? Oh, no, no, no. Not at all. But at least they're typically not okay with killing babies. You know, that, you know, that, that makes them at least better. You know, you know how many righteous, holy people run for office? <laughs> There's only been one perfect person that would have been perfect for the next elected office. And he's already got a job in heaven. Anyone else we pick, we're choosing between two sinners. We're choosing between sinners that, that, that are going to sin. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do the wrong thing. Some of their beliefs don't line up with our beliefs. Well, we've got to pick the one that most closely lines up with our beliefs. We've got to choose the one who isn't going to actively fight against what we believe. Listen. There are, there are groups out there that are actively trying to extinguish the light of Jesus Christ in this world. We can't, we can't just sit back and let it happen. If we do, shame on us. Shame on us. Christians need to be involved. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to vote. I, I am praying that this church is 100% at the voting boxes this year. Go vote in person. None of that other weird stuff. Third thing, action. William Wilberforce, who lived in the late 17, early 1800s, mid-1800s, lived in a time when slavery was normal what everybody did but through because of his faith and because how God was working how the Holy Spirit was working he brought conviction to him and he saw slavery as a great evil and then he he used whatever influence he had through the system that existed in Great Britain at that time to influence that nation away from slavery Spent the rest, he spent over 20 years on that one thing until they abolished slavery in Great Britain. He committed his life to look, work through the system, the system that was used, the political system that they used for making decisions in their nation. And God did this radical thing, which may be one of the most significant things that's ever been done in this topic. One man influenced an entire nation away from the evil of slavery. Now, not everyone can be a William Wilberforce, right? That's just not reality. But we can be praying that God would raise one up. We've got, we've got things going on in this nation right now that, that may be worse than slavery. We need to be praying that God would raise up these champions that would stand up and say, you know what, that's wrong. Some of them are out there. We need to choose to stand with those guys, those women. Say, you know what, I agree, that's wrong. We need to pray for them. We need to support them. We need to do whatever we can with them to help them get there. Now, there are lots of other ways to get involved in politics. Interestingly, nowhere in the scriptures 
is the church called to get involved in politics? We are not a political entity. We're a spiritual entity. But all through the Bible, men and women are called to be involved. Church's role is to call you to pray, to vote, to act, do something. We're called to be lights. Called to be lights in this darkness that seems to be spreading faster and faster every day. I'd like to close with a quote from Plato. I don't think I've ever quoted Plato. I don't know why that's important, but here it is. One of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. We might rewrite that and say, being governed by the wicked. We have the freedom in this country to be involved in the political system. We live in a political system where every one of us is called to be a part. Every one of us is given a voice. We call it a vote. And we must be involved. Otherwise, we get what we asked for. Now, we're living in a state where it's an uphill battle. But you know what? My God is big enough to fix what's going on in this state, this nation. So my word to you today, if you want, if we want peace, the peace of God in our city, in our county, in our state, in our nation, we must get involved. We get involved by praying, by voting, and by doing, by acting. Get involved in something. There's something that all of us can do. Even just knowing what is going on helps. Amen? Heavenly Father, as we've taken this time to get into this, what might be a uh, controversial topic, a, a divisive topic, it is divisive because there is a battle going on right now between the light and the dark, and we see going on being played out literally in our government, in our society, in our culture, on social media, on, on our entertainment, in our sports, uh, everywhere we see this battle raging between the light and the dark. And Lord, um, we look around and it, it looks like the dark is winning. But Lord, you've called us to a time such as this. And you've given us a little spark. And that spark is meant to, to light up and to, and, to, and to shine out into the world around us. To whatever degree you've called us. But we must be willing to do what it is that you called us to do. We must be willing to pray. We must be willing to vote. We must be willing to act. Whatever that means, Lord God, there's so many different ways that we can do it. But we must have a heart that desires to see, to seek the peace of our nation. The na the, the see seek the peace of our state even if it looks like it's hopeless, even if it looks like it's impossible, Lord God, you would call us to seek. I can only imagine what the exiles in Babylon thought when they saw the word seek the peace of Babylon as they're just trying to figure out how to even live in Babylon. Lord, if they could do it, if you called them to do it, then you're calling us to do it too. And so I pray for these, your people, Lord, that you would, you would stir up within them the faith that, that your people who are called by your name, if they will just do what you say in faith, that you can heal our land and you can bring peace. So, Lord, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how long the future is going to last. We don't, know, we don't know when the end is coming. But, Lord, while we are here, while there is time, while we're on this earth, while there are breath in our lungs and there are beats of our hearts, we must be seeking the peace of our city. And that peace will come because we are living and flourishing within the environment that you placed us. And that means we are involved 
in the system that you have allowed in this nation for the making of decisions. So I pray, give us the wisdom to know how, give us the courage to move forward, and Lord, give us, Lord, your spirit, Lord, to make it all possible. And we do this now because, Jesus, of what you did for us on the cross. And we lift this up to you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you have any questions, talk to Randy. He's got all the answers. Amen. All right, if, if we can pray with you, we can talk with you, we'd love to do that. God bless you. Have a radical week. Thank you for joining us as we all seek to align our worldview with God's word. If you have any questions on anything you heard in this message, let us know. You can go to calvaryfv.com worldview. There you'll find a place to send us your comments or questions. You'll also find other messages in this series. You can also go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways that we'd like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know if there's any way we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to this channel so that you don't miss other things that we publish. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.